It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, I guess it's official that Joe Biden is now the president-elect of the United States because Vladimir Putin, Mitch McConnell, and Newsmax all acknowledge it. So it must be true. That's our system of government. You got to get the buy-in from Moscow, from Mitch, and from a conservative news channel, uh, all of which had been holding off on any recognition of Biden. So that's interesting. In fact, here is the official Kremlin statement. Um, Vladimir Putin wished the president-elect every success, expects confidence that Russia and the U.S. uh, can, despite their differences, effectively contribute to solving many problems. Putin is ready for interaction and contact. That's awfully big of him. And suggested cooperation between the two countries based on equality and mutual respect. So the only holdouts on the world stage now, now that Vlad has said, yes, I recognize that my guy Trump lost, are uh, Mexico's Lopez Obrador. I I guess he's afraid if he recognizes too soon that, that Trump will build the whole wall in the next month. I don't know. Brazil's Bolsonaro, because you know what the tight relationship there, and Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un perhaps still holding out hope that the man with whom he has exchanged all of these love letters will somehow remain in power for a second term. I mean, you know what Kim would do. He'd just kill more relatives and, and make sure that he sticks around for life. All right. We have a lot to cover today. Thank you for listening. Uh, on the health front, on the political front, All kinds of stuff. Stuff is a technical term in the news business. So here we go with story number one. Bill Barr is out. And the amazing thing about this is just the pace in which the news cycle works. You know, like in the, uh, we're all now dependent on online shopping. And so, you know, I get like a couple Amazon packages. Then I go upstairs. I brush my teeth. I comb my hair. I come down. There's another package by the door. Well, that's how it is with the news cycle. Because around 5.30 yesterday... Uh, I was pretty up on the, I knew the Electoral College had officially certified Joe Biden as the winner. We'll get to that in a, a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, and I was pretty up on everything. I've checked Twitter, I checked Facebook, I checked all the websites, decided to have dinner. Eat dinner, walk in, look at the TV, Bill Barr is out. Like, what? You can't even take, you can't even eat a sandwich uh, without news breaking. Now, the news pace of news may well slow down in the next administration. More on that very shortly. But here's the deal. Um, The official word is that Bill Barr resigned. And I don't have any reason to question it. Uh, President Trump announced Barr's resignation. But at the same time, I think it was kind of a, well, you can't fire me, I quit kind of situation because clearly uh, the relationship between the two men had broken down to the point where it was simply untenable for Barr to continue as attorney general. Um, And, you know, I can't help but observe that this is the second straight AG who, in effect, has been pushed out, forced out, uh, placed in a position where he had to leave. The first one, of course, was Jeff Sessions. Uh, You know, in the grand scheme of things, does it matter with Bill Barr? I guess the uh, resignation takes effect next week resigns next week or with everybody else on January 20th? No. But if you're Bill Barr and you're suddenly getting beat up by the boss who so many critics have said that you did so much to defend, um, I can see why maybe you want to call it quits. Now, one theory is 
there's a whole bunch of presidential pardons coming, and Barr wants to get out of the way and not have to defend that. Because remember, there's a whole Justice Department process, um, which was basically ignored in the Michael Flynn case, um, for people, you know, they, they hire lawyers, they make their case, why their person deserves a sentence, commutation, or a pardon, or a preemptive pardon, or whatever. Maybe Barr just didn't want the headache. Remember, this is a guy um, who has been around Washington for decades. He was attorney general for George H.W. Bush. And, you know, whether you like Barr or you don't like Barr, uh, certainly his reputation has been damaged by uh, serving under President Trump. And the president, you know, as you can tell from the attacks on Sessions, the attacks on Barr, the attacks on Christopher Wray at the FBI, I mean, he's a man who values loyalty, who prizes loyalty above all else. And he never, I think, has quite gotten the notion that the Justice Department, at least on criminal matters, is supposed to be independent, particularly if the target, the subject, the defendant is one of the president's pals, whether it's Roger Stone, Mike Flynn, former advisor, uh, and all of that. So what happened is just to, so I could, so the president put out a tweet and you know, they're all, they're all kissy face right now. Our relationship has been a very good one, says POTUS. He has done an outstanding job. Outstanding job. When he was asked a few days ago, do you have confidence in Bill Barr? There was this long pause. Ask me that question in a few weeks. Not exactly a vote of confidence. Uh, New York Times says the decision to quit was Barr's, not the president's. And that the White House counsel helped facilitate the exit. This was like these negotiations, and you say this. So then Barr reciprocates with this rather fawning resignation letter saying, I was honored to serve, and you uh, accomplished all these great things, and uh, by the way, we're still looking into voter fraud and all of that. So Barr gets out of the firing line, so to speak. Now, what happens is it's a two-part process. So after the election, you know, as everybody uh, on the planet knows, you know, Donald Trump filing all these lawsuits, uh, losing twice in the Supreme Court, losing uh, some cases uh, with scathing opinions from judges, state judges, federal judges, judges appointed by Republicans, judges appointed by Trump himself. Um, And Barr stayed pretty quiet. And then Barr, very deliberately, in my view, gave that interview to the Associated Press in which he said, Uh, Our investigations find no evidence of widespread voter fraud uh, that rises to the level that it would overturn any of the election results. And Trump was livid, and there were all these leaked stories. Trump is considering firing Barr. Trump is not going to put up with this. Trump is so angry. So, you know, Barr is a smart guy. He reads the newspapers. Uh, He, I'm sure, has his own contacts in the White House. So then he uh, put out the word, somebody close to the attorney general said, well, Barr was considering stepping down. Well, that was the, you know, the first um, dance step in this minuet of, oh, you're going to fire me? Well, no, I'm going to quit. And you can see me dancing away. And then he put out another statement saying he would serve as long as the president wants him, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, in this uh, letter that was you know basically a sucking up letter to the president, uh, Barr went after Trump's political opponents. No tactic, no matter how abusive and deceitful, was out of bounds. The nadir of this campaign was the effort to cripple, if not oust, your administration with frenzied and baseless accusations of collusion with Russia. So he's looking back to the Russia investigation. Um, He also said in an interview, I've forgotten this, that... uh, country would be irrevocably committed to the socialist path if the president wasn't reelected. But, you know, it was months ago when Barr did intervene in the sentencing of Roger Stone with a recommendation for a more lenient sentence, where I happen to think was right on the merits, but leaving that aside, Barr was quoted publicly as saying, 
Trump is making it impossible to do my job with all these tweets because either it looks like Barr was pressured into doing these things, that he would say, look, he, it was his judgment as attorney general that the sentencing of Roger Stone, was the recommendation was very too harsh. Or, you know, uh, it, or he was put in a position where he's contradicting the president. So that was just kind of like a flashing neon light. Then comes the election. Then comes Barr saying no evidence of widespread voter fraud, which completely and totally undermines the president. Except, you know, the Justice Department can't make up these charges. If there's no evidence, what are they going to do? Are they going to get laughed out of court uh, the way that Texas lawsuit did by all nine Supreme Court justices? But then the straw, the final straw, was happened over the weekend when the Wall Street Journal reported that Barr had decided and actually fought to keep the public from learning that the Justice Department was conducting a full-scale tax investigation that also was looking at money laundering and other possible crimes by Hunter Biden. And I've said this before, and I will say it again. You know, you get, you get beat up in this business because partisans want you to only love the person or hate the person. So if you say one negative thing about President Trump, you're never trouble. You've always hated him. If you say one positive thing about Bill Barr, I mean, I've been critical that Barr uh, has handled his job as attorney general over these last couple of years. But when he does something right, I feel like it's my responsibility as a journalist and an analyst to recognize that. And then you get beat up by the left, like, how can you say anything nice about Bill Barr? You are a complete fraud. And then you get beat up by the right because if Trump has turned on Barr, then Barr can only be criticized. That's the sort of the absolutist partisan view. Well, I'm not a partisan. I'm a journalist. You can disagree with what I say, but I call them as I see them. And what Bill Barr did, he didn't want to do what Jim Comey did. He didn't want to pull a Comey. He didn't want to have a, put out a statement two weeks before the election and be blamed for affecting the election, saying Hunter Biden was under investigation. It is, you know, I, I feel strongly about this because I spent a couple of years covering the Justice Department earlier in my career. It is against DOJ rules to make public a federal criminal investigation because the theory is you can ruin people's reputations. If you have enough evidence to charge them, then go to a grand jury and get an indictment. If you don't have enough evidence to charge them, then STFU, right? And Barr did the right thing. He did not discuss this publicly, even as obviously Trump and his allies were making Hunter Biden a big issue in the closing weeks of the campaign. And Trump came out in that interview with Brian Kilmeade and in a whole series of tweets and like, Barr shouldn't have done this. Barr, we needed to know how could Barr not disclose this. This was terrible. This was awful. This was horrible. Well, Barr did the right thing. And remember, there's this whole history with the Mueller report, and he came out early and gave the summary, which a lot of people thought was soft-pedaling Bob Mueller's findings. So, it, you know, if Bill Barr thinks it crosses a line, you're talking about a guy who has kind of bent over backwards to um, defend the president when he feels he can. So for him to decide to resign now, you know, rather than waiting the extra month, I think was a sign that, you know, it just could not continue like this. He could not continue. And, you know, he, he didn't want to go out ripping the president. It was the opposite. He wrote a pretty obsequious letter. You, you know, your enemies and all, all that. But the fact is, Trump had turned on Barr. And in these two instances, no finding of election fraud and no making public of a Hunter Biden investigation until Hunter Biden himself, remember, that's how it came out last week. The Biden transition office uh, issued a statement in Hunter Biden's name saying he'd done nothing wrong, he'd acted appropriately, but his taxes were under investigation because there were subpoenas and other things. They knew it was going to come out. It was a preemptive move. In any event, 
Uh, If you want to kick Bill Barr around, you have another week to do that. But he is getting out. uh, And that is said to have been his decision. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzBeater coming your way in just a moment. Story number two, as I mentioned at the top, the Electoral College. And by the way, you know, I did like a spoiler alert on Twitter. I mean, everybody knew the Electoral College would certify that Joe Biden will become president on January 20th. Nevertheless, uh, there was something about it, I guess because of the full-throated, aggressive nature of the president's legal battles and refusal to concede the election, which, by the way, he's still refusing to do, that it was almost like a do-over. I mean, CNN was covering, everyone was covering it all day, but CNN was like, we are going to have breaking coverage every time some state votes. And by late afternoon here on the East Coast, you know, Biden went over the 270 and eventually got to 306 electoral votes with the votes of Pennsylvania and the votes of Michigan and the votes of Colorado and the votes of Nevada and the votes of Wisconsin, Um, just as you would expect under our system. So what happened is that Biden feels like, well, you know, I never... People have questioned, you know, you, you see the polls, 77% of Trump voters in a Fox News poll say they don't, they believe the election was stolen. So Biden wanted to seize the moment. So he gave a speech last night, an evening speech. All the cable networks covered it, Fox, MSNBC, CNN. And it, it wasn't a well-delivered speech because Biden, we later learned, had a cold. His voice was constantly breaking and he was, um, you know, having to say, excuse me, excuse me, and clear his throat. There was just something off in his delivery, even beyond that. Maybe it's that he wasn't feeling well. But if you look at the words, he was tougher on Donald Trump than he has been through this whole process. This is 37 days after the networks, which, of course, have no power, but we're recognizing that Biden had won, would win, when all the votes are counted. Biden said a few things. He said, in this battle for the soul of America, democracy prevailed. We, the people, voted faith in our institutions held. The integrity of our elections remains intact. And now it is time to turn the page, to unite, to heal. So he had some, you know, words of unity. And he said, once again, I will be the president for people who didn't vote for me as well as those who did uh, vote for me. But then, you know, he mentioned Trump by name several times. President Trump was denied no course of action he wanted to take. He took his case to Republican governors and Republican secretaries of state to Republican state legislatures, to Republican-appointed judges at every level. Even President Trump's own cybersecurity chief overseeing our election said it was the most secure election in American history. And of course, that guy got fired, Chris Krebs. Um, and what, Bi- what Biden did was he praised the people, the judges, the election workers of people of both parties who stood up to the criticism and defended the, uh, the process, which is not to say the election was perfect. No election is perfect. But anyway, Biden said they knew this election was overseen, overseen by them. It was honest. It was free and it was fair. They saw it with their own eyes and they wouldn't be bullied into saying anything different. It was truly remarkable. He said, it was, and then he went on to say, I hope we never see anything like this again. It's simply unconscionable. Deep gratitude uh, to these public servants. Thankfully, unanimous Supreme Court immediately and completely rejected this effort. So, uh, just before I sat down to do the podcast, uh, again, looking at the screen, breaking news, Mitch McConnell accepts that Joe Biden will be the next president. As you know, the Senate Majority Leader has been one of the holdouts, but he went to the Senate floor, he waited till the day after the Electoral College vote, and he recognized the reality that I think many, but not all Americans, Americans now recognize, 
um, that McConnell will be dealing with a President Biden for the next four years come January 20th. Also, separately, before McConnell spoke, you had the Senate Majority Whip, John Thune, uh, saying, I understand there are people who feel strongly about the outcome of this election, but at some point you have to face the music. It's time for everybody to move on. You have the number four uh, GOP senator in the leadership, Roy Blunt, saying there's clearly a constitutional president-elect. You have Senator Rob Portman of Ohio saying the Electoral College vote today makes clear that Joe Biden is now the president-elect. Um, and you have other uh, Republican senators saying the same. So this broke the ice. You know, all of these Republican senators who were like, oh, I don't know, I haven't really studied it, I have no time to answer these questions, they all knew what they were doing, and they all knew, every single one of them knew, and Mitch McConnell knew, that Joe Biden had the votes. He had the electoral votes, as well as the popular vote, by the way, 7 million vote win in the popular count. Uh, But they didn't want to say so. They didn't want to break with the president, and now they have done that. Uh, And... Maybe the country can move on. And by the way, it's no picnic for Biden. He's still got to appoint a lot more people. He's still facing the pandemic. Uh, he's still facing an economy that is in shambles. And meanwhile, still today, remember I told you, like, I just, I don't even want to devote much time to the Democrats and Republicans negotiating over the stimulus bill because there's always these, you know, a glimmer of hope from bipartisan senators. And Nancy Pelosi says, well, look at it. And Mitch McConnell says, maybe. And then it always falls apart. It always falls apart. 13 million people may lose their jobs or may lose their unemployment benefits at the end of this year. And still, Congress can't act. It is just so infuriating. All right, let's move on. Story number three. So there has been, by my count, roughly about 10,000 pieces written about Fox News. And what is Fox News going to do after Trump is no longer president? And Fox News tied its fate to Donald Trump and the ratings are going to go down and Fox is screwed and blah, blah, blah. This happens after every administration. I should know because I used to write some of those stories myself before I came to Fox. I remember when Bill Clinton uh, was leaving office. And, you know, for those of you who are too young to remember, I mean, Bill Clinton was, uh, you know, had a very melodramatic presidency, ending in impeachment and acquittal and all of the women from, of course, Monica Lewinsky, but also Paula Jones and, and many others, Supreme Court lawsuits, President misled the country, lied. Uh, the question was, did he lie in his grand jury testimony? I mean, it was sex, it was impeachment. There were other scandals as well. So Bill Clinton just was a very, he was great for the news business because it was always something to cover every single day, somewhat reminiscent of what later happened with Trump, but in the pre-Twitter age. Um, and, how, what, and so, you know, Clinton left office, George W. Bush came in, and Fox's ratings um, continued to be very high. But now, finally... There's starting to be questions asked about the other cable news networks. What are CNN and MSNBC going to do without President Trump to beat up on every single night? Because let's face it, that became the business model. There was just simply no question about it. Uh, It always amuses me that people say, oh, Fox is so partisan when Fox has a thriving news division. And you look at these other uh, channels, and with some exceptions, because there are fair anchors there and there are fair reporters there, But the daytime increasingly started to resemble the nighttime, which is, you know, these panels of people and anchors, news anchors going off on the latest Trump outrage. So New York Times has a piece uh, that actually has some interesting news in it. Uh, People at both CNN and MSNBC know that viewers who abhorred President Trump may no longer need their nightly therapy sessions with Rachel Maddow or Don Lemon. That's a good line. 
and President-elect Biden seems unlikely to generate the 24-7 grist of drama and scandal that resurrected cable news. I don't like this next part of the sentence. Taking it from a dying medium to a focal point of modern politics. Well, it is true that cable news has never uh, occupied the perch it has right now where, you know, Fox for months and months has been the number one rated um, network in all of television. At least in the prime time was, you know, beating ABC, CBS, and NBC um, entertainment programming. But you can't expect that to last forever. It happens when there's a war, when there's a 9-11, when there's a pandemic. The pandemic eases, that'll be great for the country, but not necessarily good for cable news. You know, just cable news thrives on bad news. And that's just the way the news business has always been. Uh, but it was never dying. It really had kind of taken over. Uh, it became... You know, even especially before social media, which I do think plays a really large role, but cable news sort of took over the the the, the platform that people like Walter Cronkite and David Brinkley used to have, which is the prime source of news, breaking news, political news, you name it. So the Times says even as CNN smashed a 40-year viewership record last month, and MSNBC notched its highest ratings since its founding in 1996. Uh, journalists and executives at these networks say they're uneasy about the year ahead. Here's an MSNBC on-air personality, unnamed, saying, what happens when you don't need us? A lot of people may need a therapy session. Meanwhile, CNN President Jeff Zucker uh, is weighing whether to leave. His contract's up next year. Interestingly, you know, CNN is now owned by Warner Media, and the chief executive of Warner Media is a guy named Jason Kalar. His background is in tech. And um, Kalar took some parts of Zucker's portfolio away. He took away from him overseeing uh, CNN's communications arm and its human resources division. So Zucker was not happy about that. But also, these are probably the highest ratings CNN will see for quite a long time to go. So there's some argument that, you know, maybe Zucker goes out on top. Look, I brought the network back. You know, it, it still was number two or number three, depending on the day part, but still you know, to have higher ratings than you've had in 40 years is a pretty big deal. Meanwhile, MSNBC has already replaced Phil Griffin, who's been president for 12 years, uh, with an African-American woman, um, uh, Rashida Jones. Uh, So looking at this Times piece, um, on the other hand, Zucker likes being in the middle of the action and feels obligated to steer the network through a period of political and corporate uncertainty. That would be the argument for him staying. Um, so this guy Kalar from Warner Media uh, didn't do much to help his case when he sent out a note congratulating the network on its election coverage, and that's pretty standard for corporate chieftains. But it was full of factual errors in the first two sentences. The memo incorrectly said CNN had led the way by calling Arizona for Biden. Uh, that was Fox News. Sorry to burst your bubble. Also the AP. And also, Kalar erroneously said that Arizona was the final state CNN had projected. Actually, that was Georgia and North Carolina. MSNBC viewers, meanwhile, according to this piece, can be fickle. This is interesting. I mean, I've always sort of instinctively known this. But um, producers watched in amazement as ratings dropped during, quote, good news periods for President Trump. MS viewership was down uh, after the release of the report on Trump and Russia, which had been so hyped by Rachel Maddow and others. Uh, MSNBC viewers tuned out uh, after Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. They largely skipped Trump's State of the Union address last February, which uh, took place uh, when he was pretty much assured, but it hadn't happened yet, that he was going to be acquitted in the Senate. 
So um, others of the network say Trumpism will persist, keeping viewers locked in, even after Trump is no longer in the White House. Well, we shall see. And I mentioned at the top about Newsmax. So it's actually one Newsmax anchor, John Backman. He anchors an afternoon show. And yesterday, as the Electoral College was making it final and official, uh, Bachman said twice that Joe Biden is the president-elect. That was news for Newsmax, which was holding out hope that that would not happen. What I'm trying to do is manage everyone's expectations, Bachman said on the air. These judges don't seem to be taking up these cases. This is the reality. This is the motion set in place. Meanwhile, OAN, One America News Network, uh, virtually ignored the unfolding developments as the Electoral College was voting yesterday, this according to the Washington Post. Instead, OAM was carrying a live feed uh, by the Arizona Senate hearing to address voting procedures. When it came time for the 4 o'clock news roundup, no mention of the Electoral College at all on OAN, which perhaps tells you why President Trump is often talking up OAN and Newsmax. He's been angry at Fox because Fox News Division has recognized President-elect Joe Biden for quite some time now. I guess it's officially 37 or 38 days. By the way, there's a new Pew Research uh, poll coming out, and people talk about Fox. It says uh, Democrats are almost four times as likely as Republicans to say that media coverage of the election was largely accurate. 69% of Democrats, just 18% of Republicans. A majority of Republicans, 58%, said it was largely inaccurate uh, compared with just 10% of Democrats. Yeah, because they didn't like the outcome. But there's no evidence of particular dissatisfaction among Republicans who turn mainly to Fox News for election coverage after the polls closed. 71%, according to Pew, of the Republicans who use Fox as a major source of post-election news said that their most used sources did very well. 27% said very well, and 44% said somewhat well, adding up to 71%. So this notion that, the you know, are there some people who view Fox, who love Trump, who are disaffected with the network? Of course. But according to this poll, a majority, a substantial majority, still like Fox's coverage. All right, story number four. You know, I'm just going down the list of um, New York Times op-ed columnists, including today, including, you know, the Never Trump conservatives. And they're all just like beating up on Trump. It's almost like because Biden is now certified, they have to do it again. So here's Brett Stevens, conservative columnist, Never Trumper. Says, you know what? A lot of bad stuff was predicted uh, for Trump. Stock market would never recover. We'd be in war with North Korea. Free press would be muzzled. He said most of that stuff didn't happen. But he says the catastrophe of Trump presidency doesn't mainly lie in the visible damage it has caused. It's in the invisible damage. Trump was corrosive. What he mainly corroded was social trust, the most important element in any successful society. Okay, turn the page. Here's Michelle Goldberg, liberal columnist from the New York Times. So what matters more, she says, the president's desire to overthrow American democracy or his inability to follow through? Just how fascist was Trump? This is the diversity of opinion from right to left in the New York Times, which has no columnists that like Donald Trump. I'm not saying they should run a column today saying, you know, Trump could still win. But how fascist was he? Uh, Michelle Goldberg says the damage is irreversible, but Trump's ability to envelop his followers in a cocoon of lies is unparalleled. The Bush administration deceived the country to go to war in Iraq. It did not insist after the invasion that weapons of mass destruction had been found when they obviously were not. And that Ross Douthat, uh, conservative never-Trumper, says the Trump administration was successfully undermined 
and the Trump agenda thwarted and Donald Trump himself defeated by liberal institutions that refused to normalize him, maintained a persistent alarm about his presidency, and took every opportunity to obstruct, investigate, protest, and impeach. Then you flip over to the Washington Post, conservative Michael Gerson, who cannot stand Trump, former Bush White House staffer, says the intellectual bankruptcy and moral hypocrisy of many conservative leaders is stunning. That's because many of them did not speak out uh, about the election after the election. Okay. Story number five. Um, you know, good news today is not only are people across the country getting the Pfizer vaccine, but uh, FDA has taken a preliminary step on the Moderna vaccine. It's expected to be approved by the end of this week. That means more people will be getting it. Clearly, there are not enough in the beginning, which is why we're seeing pictures of nurses and doctors getting it and why nursing home residents will also be favored. Uh, and it will take months for a lot of people who are not elderly or don't have pre-existing conditions to get the vaccine, but at least we're on the move. The Federalist has an interesting piece reminding us how many journalists and, quote, experts said there was no way to get a vaccine by the end of the year. It did seem like a long shot when it was back last spring. And so, you know, in a way, I said this yesterday, this is one area where President Trump deserves credit. And this is like, how can you credit this guy? He said it would go away by April. He said it would vanish by summer. Yeah, I said all that at the time. I talked about the Woodward book. But just because President Trump made a lot of mistakes in dealing with COVID-19 and ultimately getting it himself, doesn't mean Operation Warp Speed didn't do a good job. The media kind of warped when it comes to Operation Warp Speed. So the Federalist says, uh, here are just some examples of headlines from months ago. Biden seizing on worries of a rushed vaccine warns Trump can't be trusted. New York Times. Trump vaccine chief casts doubt on coronavirus vaccine by election day. New York Times. Trump promises coronavirus by end of the year, but his own experts temper expectations. ABC News. HHS whistleblower says coronavirus vaccine won't be ready in 18 months. We've never seen everything go perfectly. CNBC. Bloomberg. Vaccines for millions ready this year. The impossible dream? Question mark. NPR, contradicting the CDC, Trump said COVID-19 vaccine could be ready by the end of the year. CNN, Wolf Blitzer discounting the president's predictions, saying it'll be much sooner than the 12 to 18-month timeline cited by so many experts. CNN's Jim Acosta, many health experts aren't so sure it's achievable. Even Fauci, Anthony Fauci said, even if vaccine is produced quickly, there's no guarantee the vaccine is actually going to be effective. Now, you can't predict the future. You can't know what's going to happen. But given that so much of the media bought into the consensus among experts that it was impossible, scientifically impossible, to have a working vaccine by the end of the year, obviously Trump wished it had been before the election, I think uh, it doesn't look so good. Those predictions didn't age well. It just seems like the journalists weren't at least open to the possibility. Yeah, there were question marks and experts say, and I don't know, you know, if experts, the con expert consensus says it, I guess you got to report it. But sometimes experts are wrong. And this is not just in the area of science. So hope that you get your vaccine soon. I hope of all of us get our vaccine soon. And uh, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe to our modest little podcast here. You can do it on Amazon Music or Spotify. You can do it on Apple iTunes or foxnewspodcast.com or Google Podcasts or just about anywhere. And we will see you all tomorrow with more Buzzmeter.
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.